Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we've we've come to the beginning of this season of Lent. It's that season that we focus on repentance and renewal, prayer and fasting, and increased devotion to our Lord in, in preparation for His suffering and His death and His resurrection during Holy Week. And every first Sunday of Lent is centered around this gospel lesson. This gospel lesson that really frames the entire season for us. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's in the desert for 40 days. And so our Lenten journey lasts 40 days. And Jesus will eventually set His face to go to Jerusalem as we will at the end of Lent. Jesus' temptations begin immediately following His baptism. And it works the same way with us. Whenever we are baptized into Christ, we immediately become targets for the devil. So the Lenten season is this sobering reminder that, that we do face many temptations in this life. And were it not for Jesus, we would be mincemeat. The Bible says that the devil is our enemy. He's our enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to just eat up. He wants to steal, kill, kill and destroy. He wants to to kill your faith and cut you off from Christ and His work. And you know what? He's pretty good at it. You and I don't stand a chance. The words that we sing from A Mighty Fortress, which is often the hymn that is sung on this day, those words say of the devil this. It says, on earth is not his, what? Equal. On earth is not his equal. Left to ourselves, we cannot stand up to the warfare that is waged by the devil. And if you think you can, think about how it worked out for Adam. Adam was created without sin. Didn't work, out, didn't work out so good for him. He fell very quickly to the serpent's temptation. So if you think you can measure up to the devil's attacks, this is a sobering reminder this morning that we cannot. We don't stand a chance. Our only hope is that one should come. One should come and stand in our place and win the victory over the devil, our champion who comes to fight, the man whom God himself elected. And that's what this passage is about today. That's what our gospel reading is about. Here is the second Adam doing what the first Adam and all of his descendants have failed to do, what we all have failed to do. It's about the true Israel doing what the Israelites could never do. Withstand the temptations of the enemy and overcome him. So we have to frame it this way. We have to begin this way because this passage is not meant to be a burden to you. It's not meant to be a burden for you. It's meant to bring you relief and comfort. It's meant to reveal to you Jesus as He is, the Son of God, your Savior, who overcame these things for you and in your place. And it's from our identity in Him 
It's from our identity in Him that we live the Christian life, knowing that through Him we have victory over the devil. So let's look at this passage as we consider a couple things. We consider how Christ, how Christ defeated the tempter, and then we'll look at how we defeat the tempter. So Jesus is baptized in Luke 3. And immediately he's led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He must go there. This is not haphazard wandering. This is not Jesus trying to figure out what to do immediately after he's baptized. He is led by the Holy Spirit. He is compelled. He doesn't do this for his health. He goes out there on a mission. He has a motive and a mission. He goes out to do battle. For 40 days he was out there being tempted by Satan according to God's plan. But the devil had other plans. The devil wanted to get Jesus to falter. Why? Well, he wanted to have Jesus distrust, forsake, or misuse his divine sonship. If he could get Jesus to do any of those things, then Jesus would fail to bring salvation to the world. The stakes are high, my friends. The devil wants Jesus to falter in any of those areas. And if he does, guess what that means for you and me? We're done. So Jesus went without food for these 40 days. And the scripture says, you know what? He was hungry. I love how it feels the need to tell us that that fact, right? 40 days without any food and he's hungry. The devil... The devil knows something about biology. He's a, the devil is a wily old cuss, right? So he knows that Jesus would have been hungry. And so he crafts this first temptation around that fact. He says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Let's be honest. If you or I were in this position, if we had the same abilities that Jesus does as the son of God, we would have caved immediately. 40 days, no food. The devil's trying to get us something that's seemingly insignificant. It's harmless. What could come? I'll turn this stone into bread. 40 days without food. Are you kidding me? But Jesus doesn't flinch. Man shall not live by bread alone. He doesn't pull that out of, out of nowhere. He pulls that from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Israelites had to learn that. The Israelites wandered the desert. They got hungry all the time. And you know what they did? They complained. They complained about their grumbling bellies. And it caused them to turn from God. It caused them to disobey God because their bellies weren't full enough. So here, Jesus is obedient where they were disobedient. Where the devil was successful in his temptation of Israel, he is not successful with Jesus. And notice that in the Scriptures, anytime Jesus performs a miracle, he never does it for himself. Could he make gummy bears appear if he wanted to? Probably, yes. But he never does so. 
He never performs a miracle for himself. He only does so from his divine office as the Son of God. He only does so for others that they might see and believe that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. For him to use his power for selfish gain would have completely derailed and undermined his whole messianic mission. He only uses those miracles for us. This is your Messiah. This is your Savior. So the devil hits him with his second temptation. He, he takes him up this high mountain. He shows him the kingdoms of the world in a flash. All of it. And here's the offer that he makes to Jesus. To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. You know, it's always the case with the devil that he's going to tell something that sounds a little bit like the truth, but it's always mixed with half-truths. Or just enough truth tinged, tinged with a lie to make it sound palatable. Yes, the devil is called the God of this world in Scripture. And his victory over Adam meant that all of the creation fell under his influence. But the devil is a usurper. The authority doesn't rightly belong to him. He's a usurper. He's, he's one who is being put into subjection under God through the redemptive work of Jesus. But the temptation would have gone something like this. This is kind of what Jesus would have heard. It would be nice. It would be nice to receive that authority that was guaranteed to Jesus at his resurrection. It would be nice to receive that authority now and not have to go through the suffering to get it. Isn't that always the temptation for us? It'd be nice to have it now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to go through everything that it takes to get that thing. Now sounds pretty good. It is written. Jesus said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Again, he, he doesn't miss a beat, does he? He quotes Deuteronomy again. This time it's chapter 6, and he's going to quote Deuteronomy again in the third temptation. He does not give in. This authority that the devil claims for himself is not his to give, nor does Jesus need to receive it from him. Jesus knows that all authority is His as the Son of God, and, and it will be His whenever He takes up that authority in His resurrection glory. Again, He trusts His Father's good plan, even if it includes horrible suffering and torment and ultimately death. He trusts His Father. What the Father had ordained for Him, He would gladly suffer to bring to us the salvation that we so desperately need, the victory over death. Jesus was willing to do it. And so we come to the third temptation. According to Luke's ordering of events, it's a little bit different than, uh, than Matthew's gospel, but he set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. And, he, and here the devil, he pulls out the big guns. He quotes scripture to Jesus. It's that same scripture that we read in our entrance psalm this morning, Psalm 91. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, 
He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Crafty old foe. He knows His Scripture. And Jesus answered him again, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And that did him in. Scripture says the devil left him until an opportune time. You know, here was the, here was the temptation. Maybe if Jesus could do a miracle in front of everyone at the temple, he could win them all over into believing that he is the Son of God, right? That sounds pretty good. All Jesus has to do is this one thing. And, and the Lord, his God, would not let him be dashed against the stones. And then it would be a miracle. And the people that were there could see him and believe upon him as the Son of God. Sounds pretty good. What, what wrong could come from that? And he sure made it sound good by quoting that scripture too, didn't he? He's a master at twisting the scriptures. He's a master at perverting God's promises. He is the ultimate false teacher. And here's an interesting and beautiful tidbit. We already talked about it. But the devil quoted Psalm 91, that one that we read. I don't know if you remember, but that last bit, verse 13 of Psalm 91, goes like this. It says, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. What is this? What is this talking about? Well, this is a promise for what is going to happen to all evil, to all of God's enemies. It's ironic that the devil quotes this passage, but he stops just short of that verse, right? It's so wonderful. It's, the devil wants to take hold of the sword of the Spirit. He wants to pick up that sword, which is the Word of God, and he reaches for the handle and he grabs the blade. His fate is sealed. Jesus will triumph over him, not only here in the temptation, but ultimately on the cross and through the empty tomb. The enemy will be trampled underfoot when Christ returns in glory. Jesus engaged with the evil foe right after his baptism because he knew that we also would engage in this same battle. After our baptism, he conquered so that you and I through him would also conquer. And that brings us to our last part. So how do you and I defeat the tempter? Jesus did it. We already see it. It was, it was done. He passed with flying colors. So what about us? How do we defeat the tempter? We've been baptized just as Jesus was. We too face those same temptations throughout our lives that Jesus faced there in the wilderness we too are, are awaiting the respite that comes, that eternal rest that comes whenever Christ returns in glory. Did you notice that the way in which the devil tempted Jesus is that he didn't tempt him to do blatantly evil things in our minds, right? He doesn't tempt Jesus to try to commit murder. He does not tempt Jesus to commit adultery. He doesn't tempt Jesus to steal anything, right? There's no way he could win with that. The stuff that he tempted Jesus with are those first commandment items. Those first commandment things. He wanted to get Jesus not to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. 
And that is what you and I are faced with every day. We don't roll out of our bed with the intent to commit murder. I'm just going to put that out there. Hopefully you don't. If you do, come talk to me and let's get that sorted out. We don't roll out of bed with that intention. Instead, what we are tempted with is those first commandment items to not fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The world, the sinful flesh, and the devil all conspire together to get us to look at other things from which we might derive our security, our comfort, and our identity. It might be your bank account. It might be your retirement plan. It might be your commitment to healthy living and working out. All of those things are good things, but the devil wants to take those things and turn them into God things. So what chance do we stand? As I hinted at at the beginning, you need to be relieved to know that this passage, this passage is for you, but it's not about you. This passage is for you, but it is not about you. See, this account is often turned, uh, it's, it's often turned primarily into a how-to manual on how to wage spiritual warfare, right? How to win a victory over the devil and so on. We think of ourselves like Johnny in that song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Anybody know that one? You think of yourself like that. You know, Johnny is having a fiddle off with the devil and he bests the devil on the fiddle so he wins the fiddle from the devil and Johnny triumphs, right? We think of ourselves in that way, but I'm here to tell you that we are not Johnny. We cannot do better in quoting the scriptures than the devil. He knows them all. He's been around a long time. He's that ancient evil foe. If you go into this thinking that you're the one who defeats the devil, good luck. So when temptation comes, we flee to Christ. We flee to Christ. We take refuge in Christ. He is our David who defeats our Goliath. It is Christ who has won this great victory for us. He is our champion who has won the battle for us. He has subdued the evil foe by his life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And he has given all these to us as a gift by faith in our baptism. And just as Jesus countered the enemy at every turn by relying upon God's word, we too find our ballast. We find our bulwark, our protection by turning to God's word. Not that we might outquote the devil. We can't do that. But the difference between you and the devil is that he does not trust in the scriptures. He knows them, but he does not trust in them. You do. Martin Luther suggested we can say this to the devil we can say, I am baptized. I am baptized. Present tense reality. I have the whole armor of God. I have the Spirit of God. I have the life of Christ given to me as a gift. We pray that sixth petition in the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation. We pray that with confidence, knowing that our Lord has not left us when we are tempted by the devil, but He will be our shelter. He will be our stay. He will guard us. Brothers and sisters, your Lord loves you so much that He came to do battle for you in the wilderness. 
that the victory might be yours. Trust in His promises during this Lenten tide. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.